Thirty years ago today, the world learned of the Guru, of their true nature, being born to their destiny, of their long history, kept alive in song and story and never written down, of their many tribes within a deeply divided nation, of their never-ending struggles against the forces of corruption, stasis, and chaos, and of the dark and foreboding prophecy that drives their nation forward. Over the millennia, the Guru have kept alive the memory of this prophecy, whose haunting imagery foretells the final days, the end times, the apocalypse, a doom that every Guru is desperate to prevent. In thousands of moots across thousands of cairns for as long as the Guru record their history, this prophecy has been told and retold, so that each new generation would know exactly what we fight to prevent. Passing on this tradition requires the tale singers from each new generation learn this prophecy by rote, to tell it anew, keep it fresh in the living memory of the nation. Thus, Nearly every Galliard in the nation has a story of the first time they stepped into the prophet's shoes and spoke the prophecy of the phoenix for the first time. This is one such story. It was the winter solstice, and the guru of the Sept of Falcon's Eyrie had held a long night's vigil for Helios. The moot that accompanied the vigil had been somber, and serious, and the guru of the sept had donned the long, flowing white robes and chanting prayers to Gaia, mother of them all, to Luna, whose light they bathed in by night, and to Helios, the soon-to-be-reborn incarna of the sun. It was thought that by conducting the rite of the winter winds on the night of the solstice that the guru participated in the sun's return encouraging Helios to lengthen the days once more and bring life back to the snow-covered world. The guru of this sept wore white robes on this night, for white was a color long associated with purity in Falcon's tribe, and in the purity of the new-fallen snow, the world would be reborn. Edward Sterling was grateful for the voluminous robe, for it would make it harder for anyone who looked on him to see him occasionally shiver both from the cold and from those tingles of anxiety that even the best performer gets before going on stage, especially when it's your first time performing for the whole sept, and especially when your part is a key role in the right to come. Edward had spent the last week preparing for this night. He had an important role to play, for in the darkest hours of the night, just before the dawn, the Guru would end their somber meditation and join as one into a raucous revel, lighting torches to banish the darkness, and running out the rest of the night until dawn. But before that, it was a tradition that they proclaimed to the world the darkness they would banish. At some point in the Sept's past, it was decided that the prophecy of the Phoenix represented this idea better than anything else, and, in the inverse of the expectation 
others might have of Falcon's tribe. It was decided that the honor of reciting the prophecy would fall on the youngest Gallier present. And Edward, having completed his rite of passage scant weeks before, was now the one to whom this duty fell. The vigil continued. The stars in the clear sky danced around the sliver of a moon. Ritual prayers were intoned with reverence to bring the sun's incarna back to life. And in the last hour before dawn, when the moon had gone and the dark clouds covered even the stars, the white-robed figures gathered at the heart of the cairn. Underneath the great tree where Falcon's brood rested their wings to look over the doings of their guru allies, the guru of the sept of Falcon's Eyrie formed an unbroken circle of white that looked like a parliament of phantoms gathered in the snow. For a long moment, none moved. It was time. Edward felt a reassuring squeeze on his shoulder from the guru to his left and nodded solemnly. No words needed to be said, but Edward knew the eyes of the sept were upon him. Breaking from the circle, Edward stepped towards the center, his feet leaving impressions of their bare soles in the snow. When he reached the center of the circle, he spread his arms wide, paused for a long breath, and began. Phoenix took me. Phoenix carried me in his claws, high above the world, so that I could see beyond tomorrow. And I looked. I beheld the future. I saw the decimation of our kin, hunted beyond hunting, death beyond death, to the last one. There were no more children, or grandchildren, or fathers, or mothers. This was the first sign that Phoenix gave to me that the children of the weaver, the humans, would give to us, the guru. I looked. I beheld the future. I saw the children of the weaver birthing, a great tide of humans rising. I saw more and more, until Gaia groaned at having to carry them all, their houses overrunning, their rakes raping, their hands clawing at the parched earth, trying to feed from her. This was the second sign of the last days that Phoenix showed me that the humans would do. I looked again. I beheld the third sign. So many, so many children, so many humans, and they fell against each other, one to one and the worm brought forth corruption and gave each of them a measure. And the strange fire I saw, out of control, the great plume rising over the wilderness, spreading death wherever it shone in that dark and cold land. And I heard the agony of the sea as she keened, for some drunken fool had poured a lake of black death out upon her turned my head away in disgust, but I could not help but look again. I beheld then the fourth sign. The worm grew powerful, 
Its wings fanned the breezes of decay. It spread its diseases, and they were horrible. The herd became afflicted with diseases of the head and the blood. Children were born twisted. Animals fell sick, and no one could cure them. In these final days, even the warriors of Gaia could not escape the palsied talons of the sickness-bringing deathbird. Tear in my eye, I looked again, and the phoenix showed me the fifth sign. I saw other plumes rising like death spears towards the beautiful sky, piercing it, letting father-son burn and parch Gaia. The air grew hot. Even in the darkness of winter it was warm. The plants withered in the sun. A cry of pain and disease rose from the dying forests. As one, the relations cried tears of mourning. Then, as though a veil were torn, the sixth sign showed itself to me. In these last days, Gaia shakes in rage. Fire boils from the depths. Ash shrouds the sky. The worm skulks in the shadows made by these and rears to strike. The old ones are gone. The guardians of the pathways and the crossroads are finished. In these final days, the sixth sign will make itself known in the packs that form. Each pack will have unto itself a quest, a sacred journey it must perform. Such is the will of Gaia. And I saw the sky turn black, and the moon was as blood. And the seventh sign I glimpsed, even though I could not look on it in full. But its heat I could feel. The apocalypse. The final days of the world. The moon was swallowed by the sun and it burned in his belly. Unholy fires fell to the ground, burning us all, twisting us and making us vomit blood. The worm made itself manifest in the towers and the rivers and the air and the land and everywhere its children ran rampant, devouring, destroying, and calling down curses of every kind. And the herd ran in fear. And the dark ones, the children of the worm, crawled from their caves and walked the streets in daylight. I turned my head from the sight. Phoenix told me, This is as it shall be, but not as it should. Phoenix left me then. Now I cannot dream. I can only remember the signs, each one in perfect detail. These are the last days. May Gaia have mercy on us. After the last echoes of the last words of the prophecy faded, there was a long silence as every group present contemplated the signs and how they'd failed to stop them coming. The silence was broken by the sound of a flint striking steel and the crackle of flames as a branch caught fire. Flaming torches all around the circle pierced the night and a long howl began as the Guru raised their voices as one to challenge the darkness once more. And this is what we do every time we take up the struggle for Gaia. 
For 30 years now, and hopefully many more to come, the Guru Nation has stood as one to fight for Mother Gaia. In tens of thousands of games across countless tables in countries all over the world, players and storytellers have taken up the fight for Gaia. Together we have woven 10,000 tales of struggling against the relentless darkness that threatens our world and told stories of hope, stories of courage, and stories of sacrifice for Gaia. We have taken up the roles of Gaia's champions and we have raged against all that threatens her. We have become packed brothers and sisters, shared by a common bond forged over sheets, dice, and our shared imagination. And we are all of us the better for it. So here's to 30 years of raging for Gaia, and here's to many more to come. So join us and defy the darkness and find your answer to the biggest question of all. When will you rage? Until then, I am Jim Dealey, and this has been a very special episode of Werewolf, the podcast.